This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. again everyone welcome in to episode 236 of film tank as per usual i am alex diekman along with nick cheney yay yep uh tucson egan i said hey, hey what's going on that's awesome and our friend uh who has been on a lot of times but it's joining us again on this episode, Anna Bodizadu. Hello, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> you're, you're we welcome. always love having you. I always this love being true. here. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> ah, it's good to have you back. It's been a little little while. You were on the Behind the Candelabra episode. Yes, I actually yeah. checked my Skype logs before tonight's call, and I was like, wow, it's been at least a month, so... Oh, okay. It's Very it's great good. to be back. And what a month well, has it been. What a month it's been. It's been, man. And any month this year, I feel like, if you looked at it, you'd be like, woof, that, that, was, a, that was the month of the year. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> Just I you. We can do to top it. I saw a, <laughs> uh, a meme of, like, the, the, the caption is, walking into July, like, and it's the shot from... Uh, Mulholland Drive, where the guy is walking to the behind of Winkies, and you know something bad's gonna happen. Yeah, it's oh, been, really, uh, it's, oh, been really a, it's been. Me. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just gonna say it's been a crazy full year, and it's only been six months. It's been yeah, crazy. it's been a it's been a crazy it's been a really crazy uh, ten years. Oh yeah, man. I was yeah. gonna say a good tweet that I saw was like, "Wow, I can't believe February was already three years ago." And I was like, right. "Jesus Christ!" Oh my God. Ready? <laughs> so on this episode, we are going to be discussing the new Spike Lee film, which is The Five Bloods. You mean the new Spike Lee joint? That works too. <laughs> so. Anyways, uh, The Five Bloods, uh, Spike Lee's new joint, uh, surrounds four, Afro- four African-American vets that battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and also the gold fortune that he helped them hide. So the film stars wonderfully Del- Delroy Lindo uh, and also... Features Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, and also uh, Melanie Thierry, Paul Walter Hauser, who most people would probably remember from either I, Tanya, or Black Klansman. Or Richard Jewell. 
<laughs> I was going to mention that, too. I, you saw that, didn't you? Yeah, it's actually, he's very, very, very good in it. Yeah. And then there are also appearances in this by uh, Jasper Baconin, who played the extremely racist person in Black Klansman. Also, Gene Reno has a very interesting uh, role in this. And uh, a usual player in Spike Lee films, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who shows up to deliver his signature shit line uh, on a couple uh. of occasions. And then also, uh, I actually didn't even know he was in this until I started watching it, but a interesting performance and actually quite wonderful by Chadwick Boseman as Storm and Norman. So, uh, Nick, yes. you are the one who at least suggested this film as something to watch and then something to do an episode on. And uh, I think that that means you should start us off and talk about your initial feelings oh. on The Five Bloods. Sounds good to me. Uh, I thought that this was amazing. I think this is his best film since 25th Hour, personally. Um, I feel like Damn. while... It is certainly coincidental, but not really at all, that it would get released, like, quite literally during quarantine uh, amidst another peak, if not the greatest peak yet, of Black Lives Matter and uh, so many other things converging that I feel like he's never better when the world is just as angry as Spike Lee is. <laughs> it's like we all have to catch up to him because uh, he's, a, he's a bit of a character sometimes, but most of the time justifiably so and i think defy bloods is uh one of his greatest works it's everything that makes him unique as a director which is to say that it is a sprawling mess but i never really found any leaks so to speak and i just thought it was flat out fantastic i thought the performances across the board were wonderful uh, I thought Delroy Lindo was one of my favorite supporting performances in like the last five years or so. Um, it's just such a venerable cast of black men over a certain age that have always been undervalued by Hollywood. So it's so great to see them not only be in a role uh, that's great, but also be in a role that quite literally looks back on the way they've been used and abused by the system and not appreciated uh, until they have their greatest adventure yet, so to speak. Um, so I, there's just so much to this, I think, from the casting and whatnot. Um, but yeah, as what I kind of, I think, overall loved about it was that this is a movie that is reckoning with history in numerous ways. Um, it's very much like what Tarantino does with exploitation, Spike Lee seems to be doing with media in general, whether it's um, wrestling with, obviously, the way um, media portrays certain global conflicts, or um, whether that's news institutions or even movies. I mean, the characters have conversations about the kind of Ramboification of the Vietnam War and, and uh -huh. the, the tragedy of the Vietnam soldier or whatever. And yet, even that is never technically the whole truth because something like The Five Bloods is technically the very first Vietnam movie ever to center around black soldiers. And it's 2020. What? Yes. Uh, to center, Are you serious? To center around them. It's not that there's never been a black soldier in a Vietnam movie. But yes, this is the 
uh, from what I can tell and from what I believe I read, this is the first time that that is the story, so to speak. And there, yeah, that is extraordinary for the fact of like we even learn in the film about the actual statistics of like how many black soldiers actually like like what percentage of black soldiers actually served in the initial like first waves of vietnam yeah i'm just like wow oh Uh, yeah and obviously that's one of lee's biggest uh you know contentions that he justifiably has as far as the disproportionate uh disproportionate amount obviously of black deaths versus white uh deaths uh in a conflict like this despite the fact that um <laughs> they were, as a lot of people eloquently said, uh, they were fighting for rights they don't even completely have back here in the States. So um, it's just such a furious movie, and yet it also has so many moments of humor, of sadness, of of, of just literally everything. I genuinely think the entire spectrum of the human condition is located somewhere in this movie. Um uh-huh. And before I kind of pass it off, I'll just say there were little touches that I absolutely loved. Like, I did love the soundtrack, the emphasis of using the Marvin Gaye uh, album, which is one of the greatest albums of all time, uh, was A, great because it sidesteps the wonky territory of using what we call those... uh, white songs that very much are like, uh, Vietnam was so messed up, you know, like for what it's worth, Buffalo Springfield, that kind of stuff. And uh-huh. it kind of shows a whole new perspective of love and understanding that was happening despite all the atrocities, uh, which is just a very uh, unique and in some ways courageous, uh, you know, avenue to take. Um, and what I absolutely love is that... Um, <laughs> just a little detail, but as much as I love Marvin Gaye as a singer and how his music was utilized, I also could not stop thinking about the fact that one of the strongest components in this movie is the relationship between Paul and David, father and son, which is extremely contentious, and we'll right. obviously get into considering that. And cons- yeah, considering that Marvin Gaye Sr. shot his own son um, t- and killed him. So, you know, it just I feel like over... Uh, in every corner of this movie, there's thought, care, and most of all, empathy, uh, where there usually is none on the screen in Hollywood that Lee is uh, has been angry about for years. And the movie, in and of itself, is a form of reparations uh, that I just absolutely was engulfed in. So it's, um, uh, I just thought it was phenomenal. So that's, that's my opening thoughts. Uh, can I go next? Make it happen, man. All right. Um, so I'm going to have to echo, um, like, the vast majority of Nick's own sentiments in that I I watched this uh, this morning, and I think it's absolutely phenomenal, just from a uh, an initial, uh, like, first watch. I'm sure that I will I will probably sit with it, and it will probably even improve on, on just sitting with it and, and obviously seeing it again. But, yeah, I absolutely love this film. From top to bottom, uh there are a lot of really, really interesting, fascinating decisions going on in the construction of this film and the casting of this film. Uh, Delroy Lindo, obviously, um, he is the standout in this. Um, I, I, I absolutely love, um, what's his name? 
Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Uh, I know that maybe he's he's he was more like sort of tailored to be sort of the comic relief, but I don't know what it is. Like he he just ended up being my my favorite part of the film, even though I obviously concede that Delroy like his his performance was just so magnetic and it, it it really does carry on like some of the most notable and noteworthy and 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 memorable moments of the film. It's just like every single time I see Isaiah Whitlock Jr.'s character, I just I just get happy. I just feel happy looking at him. I just I just love looking at the guy. He just looks like he's just having a having a, a, a damn good time. Like whether his character is like just like dancing uh down a dance hall in like an apocalypse like now themed dance hall with his buddies or he's just having like a really stern very uh very heartfelt like face off with somebody that he really cares about um i think that all the performances in this film were were fucking incredible to be honest but those are the two that really like shine in my mind um i think that chadwick boseman his character i love this character I think I think that he 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 wasn't so much a character as he was sort of like a a persistent element that ties these 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 four men together. Um, can can I can I say real quick that yeah. that is that is such good casting. Yes, mostly because of his current standing in Hollywood and the fact that he's played characters that are popular in mm-hmm. in just the idea of him being this sort of immortalized figure in this film. Uh, right. And the fact that he's played that in a lot of the films that he's been in recently. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and he's just kind of like, he's got probably like six minutes of screen time in this and they are all quite good. I think if I could just rattle off the things that the, the decisions in this, in this film, they studied decisions that I, I am absolutely in love with. I love the fact that, the flashbacks, they are actually played by the principal actors themselves. They did not recast as younger people, but rather just I fucking, showed... I fucking hated it. They, I, li- I, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. And, and the, the reason why I, I liked it is because it really does sort of show how like Chadwick Boseman's character is immortalized in that sort of aspect. He is forever young. He will always look the way that they looked when they were together. Yeah, it, so, it, it, it's it's tough because I'm sorry, Anna. No, go ahead. It's tough because I was torn on it when the film first started, but the longer it went on, the more I just got just I don't know. I just had a hard time with it because I appreciate the decision on it because I do think it is definitely outside the box and and has value but for me i just i feel like it would have had a lot more purpose if it would have just come in spurts more especially in that last scene where we actually see where a lot of delroy lindo's guilt uh, and anger yes guilt anger a lot of his problems that are different from the other men who were there comes from Right. I think that would have landed way better if that that would have just turned into that as opposed to what we previously saw. So I mean, it, that's it, fair. It, it's, I, it, it, it's 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 a it's a good attempt, I think, and and it obviously works for some people and doesn't work for others, I'm sure. But I, I just I just was not a fan. That's fair. 
Uh, Anna, think, real quick, Anna, oh, Anna said, was trying to say something, and I stepped yeah. all over her. No, no, that's okay. So um, I was, after finishing the film, I actually um, was reading the IMDb page about it. Those flashback scenes, the... Uh, actors at their current age being in those flashback scenes was done on purpose because the purpose of it was that the characters at their current age are remembering the events as they um, remember them in the present day. Um, so uh. it's it's most it's mostly supposed to be like kind of like a live recall as opposed to being like a true. Um, um, flashback where everyone is at the same age as uh, Storm and Norman. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, it's because they never left. Exactly. It's because yeah. they never left that um, that part of their mind. Like, technically, they're always, like, in there, like, in the war. Um, and that was the basically the last place Storm and Norman was in his life. So I thought um, I was kind of conflicted um, on it, too, um, when I noticed that. Um, but as the film went on, I actually thought that was, you know, pretty creative. And I don't think those flashback scenes, like, dragged too long either. So I thought it was okay. So, yep. So the the other thing that I really enjoyed, the other aesthetic choice that I enjoyed, uh, other than sort of, like, the flashback casting, uh, and Alex, you sort of, like, when, when you mentioned outside of the box, I thought it was like, oh, it was like, what a coincidence, outside of the box. Because I want to talk about the aspect ratio shift in this fucking film because I just love that shit. I love that it actually like went to like actual like film grain and like you could actually see the the parameters like like evolve and shift and like it, it really just sort of like foregrounded when a, I'm uh, sure a person's someone else in like this podcast who enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, was oh, like uh, the, the the shifts were just really really good. <laughs> actually, Nick. that was the one thing that I thought was definitely a lot of fun, but I thought was the one thing that was. I was completely on board for the casting of the same actors in the flashbacks, but I actually thought that that contrasted slightly with the shift in aspect ratios, which I never really disliked, but I also thought that that was like one gimmick too many. Um, so I, I'll say that. <laughs> okay, so the last thing that I liked, um, one of the last things that I liked is that I liked the music design, uh, or at least the sound design and the music choice uh having like marvin gaye's like isolated vocals over the scene when they're actually like going to uh the ruins in order to sort of like regroup uh before the the, the vietnamese soldiers come back with the uh i love that that really that was really affecting and it's also just a really fucking funny film it's a funny film and it's it's it's, it's a funny film that like, this is a film about trauma and sort of mitigating that trauma with the past and sort of navigating the sort of the anger that one feels at being exploited and also sort of reckoning with the role that one plays as sort of a, as a part of, a, of an imperialist regime and how their own, like, actions inflicted harm and violence on others and and how do you like sort of square that line of like how do you feel about that um the humor in this was really fucking good um the scene where uh, uh isaiah's character uh turns to otis 
when they're like sort of like haggling like who's actually going to get up the shares. Um, when he says like, "Damn, Otis, you just want to put the fucking uh, gold on Craigslist?" Like I fucking laughed my ass off. And when uh, when uh, Delroy Lindo is going through his like whole trek in the jungle and he goes on his fucking salt in the Vaseline rant, I had to like pause because I was like, I have been peripheral witness and earshot of many a adult conversation at a family gathering in my time and never in my 29 years of life on this planet have i ever heard salt in the vaseline what the fuck like oh my god um this movie is incredible i absolutely love it um i'm looking forward to hearing what y'all uh, thought about it too. So I will end my opening thoughts. Okay. So Anna, uh, would you like me to go next or would you like to go? Uh, after you, I'll go last. Okay. Uh, I was very much a fan of this. I, for the most part, have enjoyed every Spike Lee film that I've watched. Now, granted, I have not watched all of them for sure not seeing his old boy remake which has been universally panned for the most part but uh, i've seen quite a few of his films and i for the most part quite enjoy his works and this one was no different uh this was this was wonderful and i didn't love it but i thought this was very very good and i think Something about this that is delightful um, and just wonderful work is something that uh, he really tapped into in uh, some of his earlier works, specifically in Do the Right Thing, where this film takes a very interesting approach to the idea of racism and I, I just thought it was wonderful because he, he really plants his flag early on on the idea of the hate that is in the characters in this movie. And not just the principal characters that we see, but in and around people. And it is not a black and white issue. It is a human issue that goes deep to people in all walks of life. That is something that we have a terrible time reconciling with. And I love that because I think that he does a fantastic job in this film with that. And it really, really lands in a amazing and awful way. Because if you, if you just see the, uh, the, content that people have or the discontent that people have with each other um, specifically because of their race or ethnicity, whatever you want to call it. Um, This film is just filled with it in so many ways and in so many different moments. Uh, And it is hard to watch at at parts, but you know what? That's what makes this movie so good is that it really just puts it all out there and just shows you everything about these characters 
and the different people that they meet throughout there and the hate that is still there um, many years later. Uh, and we see some of the just terrible things that are happening on uh, many fronts throughout this film, whether it be small things like the, uh, unfortunately, the um, kid who is missing a leg in the restaurant in the early parts of this film, who sets off the firecrackers outside, which was such a heinous act, which is played in like a real haha way but is so horrible in my opinion that uh that was one of the most gut-wrenching parts of the film and to me uh and and what's nice though is that actually that specific character has a nice turnaround when you find out more uh later on about the uh mines that have been left throughout vietnam um but there there's so much hate that is throughout, um, and and there are some characters that are going out of their way to either talk about the hate, or then you see other characters who are spending their time attempting to profit off of other people's hate, um, and, and that's where this film super lands for me, uh, this idea of people attempting to make money off of other people's emotions, uh, which is the entirety of what I think at least this film is trying to say of these horrible atrocities that happened during the Vietnam War and before and after that conflict happened. Um, I think that um, I I, I totally agree with that. I think that sort of the, the, the depictions of hatred in this film are such a they really are a very sobering and, and, and kind of startling and, and, and really just humanizing sort of depiction of like how much hate can, can transform a person and, and, and change them. And in, 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 in that way, I think that it, it circles back to another one of the things that I, I, I love about this film is that we have four, really five black main characters and what, sort of comes across to me in in, in, sort of in this film is that not only is it talking about probably one of the most contentious uh, military conflicts that America has ever been a part of, and that is saying a lot. That's saying a, a lot to say that. Um, but it's also uh, depicting through these different portrayals that the Black experience, such as it is, is not a monolith that there are these people that even though they share this common lived experience and this common shared history, um, even beyond their sort of respective involvement in the Vietnam War, uh, but just the, the, the shared lived experience of being a black man growing up in America, um, they really do have different ideologies and different sort of, sort of ways of how the, 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 it shows shows that their ideology is is really born out of them trying to process on, on their own individual level these the sort of shared traumas and and individual uh, sort of challenges that they face both together and as individuals and I think that Delroy Lindo's character sort of portrayed as this uh, this this I, I I really enjoyed seeing that character not so much enjoyed but it it, it was kind of it was not eye-opening, but it was something that I I don't typically see uh, in 
in a film with like a prominent black character in that I can speaking from, from my own, my own experience is that I, and I can only speak from my own experience in, in this regard is like, I have grown up around um, older black men my entire life. And I have seen as I have come into sort of my own personality, my own identity, my sort of like political consciousness and like social awareness of other people. I've noticed uh, among some of the older black men that I, I grew up under that there can sometimes be a gradual shift uh, into more conservative, more, uh, more prejudicial sort of mindsets. And, and it's always boggled my mind. And I feel like Delroy Lindo's character sort of adds some clarity to that sort of phenomenon and that sometimes you have so much taken away from you and you suffer so many different aggressions, whether it be macro or micro, that you just, you just stop giving a fuck. You really, you really are just all about like getting yours and just trying to survive. And I, it, it, it really does sort of, bring oneself into the mindset of like what could compel a person to to sort of lean towards these more like ultra nationalist conservative isolationist policies and beliefs and 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 figureheads um yeah that was that was something that um felt very true to life for me uh in watching that yeah, we'll definitely talk more about the fact that Delroy Lindo is a Trump supporter, um, because that is obviously a pretty major storyline in this, even though there are points when it's played a little bit uh, slow played, I think. But yeah, that, that's something. So the last thing I'll say before uh, I pass this off to Anna is that I talked a lot about, about the stories and the themes of this film and they are fantastic but i will say the first hour of this even though i would probably enjoy it more on the rewatch was a little slow and that's by design and that is fine but um i wouldn't call spike lee in general at least from a lot of the films i've seen a master of tension but holy shit every time we see isaiah Whitlock Jr. with his um, metal detector uh, after we find out about the people who are looking for the landmines and the fact that he is looking for the gold. Um, Every single time you hear a beep, I am just waiting on the edge of my seat for an explosion to happen. In in a way, I I haven't felt in a... You thought it was hilarious. Well, I'm saying it was extremely tense, but... The idea is that Spike knows what you're thinking, and he literally has Isaiah Washington Jr., of all people, going from Little Dirt Mountain, going, I found another one. Like, it it just keeps begging one of them to be a mind, almost. And so, anyway, I thought it was, like, one of the most uncomfortable, but also I was kind of giggling because it was so ridiculous. I feel the same. I I feel the same way as Alex. Like, I was just like, oh, my God. No. Yeah, and... I watched it with Emily and she was like the whole time had her hands over her mouth. Like I thought it was pretty, pretty fucking intense. And then obviously we get the actual event where this happens. And 
holy shit. Uh, the one uh, person I cannot remember the actor's name off the top of my head, but that that character who gets his limbs blown off, um, that is that is so awful uh, in the way that that ends, and the fact that he was wanting everybody to just be more caring, and he's holding a piece of the fucking gold while he's saying it, uh, and then yeah. that Eddie, ends. Eddie, yeah, yeah. Eddie. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, played by Norm Lewis. Yeah, and he's he's wonderful, just like they all are in this film. I think. I mean, every performance, especially from uh, the five main leads, is so stand out here. And we talk about performances all the time that they are usually good in films that are good, but um, here they were exceptional. But, but that was wonderful. And really quickly, this is a really kind of random. Um, sidebar, but I loved the inclusion of the gold in this film because I think that that was so important in the storyline and it made this super interesting while at the same time having a clear divide between this idea of what these people believe they are owed and what people on the other side who people 55 years ago believed they were owed. And at the same time, uh, it draws out the worst in everybody. This idea of wanting to go after this gold, like this is the oldest story that you can tell in cinema of the idea of people being after gold and seeking after gold. Like it, it had a feeling of the first pirates of the Caribbean film to me, this idea of being cursed. one of the oldest movies of all time okay. See, you know what? tale as old as time <laughs> i just wow. couldn't i couldn't read this <laughs> but i agree no, i'm not making fun of you no you Con- are continue yes. I, I i totally agree and get were, what you're that saying. would be totally understandable but <laughs> this idea of these people being cursed because of the treasure that they found is delightful uh in a good and bad way so I've I've talked a lot about it and I put a lot out there, but um, and I've obviously got way more to say. But um, this is a very very good film and a film that I'm very interested in watching uh, again. So, Anna, it is finally your turn. Alrighty, well, um, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of Spike Lee joints. Um, I did really like Inside Man when it first came out, but I haven't watched it in a long time. And then. One of you gentlemen brought up how he did the old boy remake, which um, I blocked out from my mind because it was so bad. Um, <laughs> but um, I uh, really, really liked this. I thought it was so cool. Um, so I love war movies. I know very little about the Vietnam Yay, War. Yay! Go, Anna! Um, <laughs> friends because yes. Nick and Toussaint, I think, don't like war movies. So oh, yeah. well, I love them. So I'll I'll watch them all day. So they're like 1977, <laughs> or whatever or whatever the fuck it was, 1917. What? Oh my! Oh, God. I still need to watch that. So. Nice. And also, I, I'm so mad at my mother for seeing the film Dunkirk without me. So anyway. That is um, not. That is that is that was kind of a misfire by Chris. I like it, but it is not that great. Oh. 
okay, well, they all can't be winners. But anyway, so the Vietnam War is, um, I, I know very little about it um, when it comes to uh, wars in, especially when it comes to the 20th century. Um, and uh, I learned a lot in the context of listening to a podcast about Jane Fonda when she was like involved in the press with the Vietnam more and how she became Hanoi Jane. Um, so I had a little bit of background of that, but that wasn't obviously enough um, for it. But anyway, so it was really, really cool to see uh, this film and um, the historical context around it. Um, I do agree with Alex that like the first hour, especially the exposition, I think was a, quite a bit too long for me. However, I did like the um, insertion of the footage and the photographs of the political and historical events that were um, occurring around the time of the Vietnam War, which I thought was so cool, um, because some of them were honestly unpleasantly graphic, but that is just the truth of what happened. Um, Especially what resonated with me was, um, I want to make sure I'm using this word correctly, is it the the monks? I hope it's the monks um, that would set themselves on fire as um, a form of protest. Um, I, I think I got really attached to those images as a teenager for some reason. Um, so it was kind of weird to see, to see that again. And then also a scene that stuck out to me um, was during a flashback when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated and the main characters heard about it on the radio, which is was really shocking to me because I never put forth the context that Martin Luther King was assassinated during the events of the Vietnam War. So anyway, that's my background of knowledge. But I love this film. Um, the leads, I agree with everyone that the leads were all just so good. Um, they all carry a sense of gravitas that I think doesn't come naturally to all actors. But since all of these actors are not only naturally good, but they um, have that experience, it just, it's like they all bring something to the table and they all like kind of steal their own scenes and then they work so well together. Um, my two favorites are Clark Peters and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. who are both on the wire together. Um, so I am always so happy when I see actors um, from the wire uh, in other projects, just because that show is one of my favorite shows and also one of the best television shows ever made. Um, here, here. I too appreciated um, the, uh, Sorry, uh, Nick. Um, did were you agreeing? Yeah, I was saying here, here. Like, oh, cool. Okay, sorry, I didn't. Uh, I couldn't quite hear you. Um, <laughs> no, you're thanks, good. Uh, thanks for agreeing with me. Um, I also really liked the uh, change in aspect ratio when they were using the old uh, camera, the old film camera. I thought that was so cool. I'm such a sucker for that stuff too. Um, so that was really neat. Um, Yay. It was honestly, it was so cool. And I feel like something like that could um, could easily kind of take you out. But really, it just it it made me kind of want to see more of that. So um, I was glad that it was used um, in the way that it was um, really nicely. Um, it this this film was just so good. Like, I really liked the soundtrack and it didn't occur um 
to me uh, that all of the main characters are named after members of the Temptations who kind of took over the the soundtrack uh, for this film, which I thought was pretty cool. And I also didn't put together the connection between the father-son character in this film and then also Marvin Gaye and his dad in real life um, until that was mentioned here. So uh, when I found that out about Marvin Gaye personally, I was just shocked. So I didn't make that connection um, while watching that film, watching this film, but that makes... um, a lot of sense and um there were certain things that i think spike lee kind of um sets up not necessarily okay like i want to say sets up for you but um when like i would it was mentioned with the landmine situation when um eddie is holding that gold bar and he's giving that monologue the camera like goes really wide and in my mind i'm like oh man is this going to happen? What I think is going to happen? And then lo and behold, we know the fate of Eddie. Um, so that was really upsetting to me just because I didn't want, of, of course, I just didn't want anything to happen because only a couple of scenes before we find out that Eddie is broke because of the constant poor decision making he was doing with his money. Um, especially at the beginning of the film where he offered to pay for everybody's hotel rooms and basically everything. Um And then one of my favorite moments in this entire film uh, is toward the end when Isaiah Whitlock Jr. uh, sacrifices himself with a grenade, even when he says he would never do that earlier in the film. Um, I thought that was um, just so noble and so, like, happy and sad at the same time. Um, And um, surprisingly, I think thought the uh, characters from Lamb, those three characters that we meet from that organization, I thought they were going to be annoying and useless, but I mean, truthfully, they were there and they were a part of the plot when they needed to be. Um, Can I say something really quickly about that? Of them? course, yeah. Okay. Uh, I will say that in my opinion, and I've, <laughs> I've been ridiculed on this podcast previously for good reason about talking about actors other films that they've been in contributing to the current films that they are in but but no no i think you guys will probably be with me on this because it's not as outlandish as my dr house thing with you Lori. but i will say this i think the casting uh of the not the female but the other two characters who are both villains in the black Klansman film was actually fantastic because it set the audience up in a way that they would be at least because of the way they are viewed. If they remembered them from that film, if they had seen it, that they would remember them in a somewhat negative light and they would automatically think that they are going to be antagonists in this film, which they do not turn out to be. So I think that that was great casting, yeah. and I don't know if that is no, something I, that's I'm with you shared with everybody, but 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 I think that that was a wonderful stroke of genius by Spike Lee. I very much enjoyed the past year of people casting Paul Walter Hauser as like a just genuinely big teddy bear instead of a slob uh, racist asshole, which he's very good at both. I'm just glad that he doesn't have to slit his wrists at night by only getting roles to be uh, neo-Nazis. 
Um, circling and circling <laughs> back to what uh, Anna was talking about with the character of Melton, uh, uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr.'s character, like sort of throwing himself on a grenade, even though he said he would never do that. Like I, I love that. Like it's just, it just circles back to why that's one of my favorite performances and one of my favorite characters. It's like, you know, greater love have no man in the midst that a man laid down his life for his friends. Like, it's just, you never know. You don't know until you're in that situation. And, and he was, and he loved his friends. So, yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was just, it was such a, a full circle moment, but at the same time, it was like, man, I, you were... I thought really it was a flashbang at first. <laughs> I thought, it was just gonna, I thought it was just going to be a flashbang and that it was going to be revealed that, like, he didn't die and he's going to roll over and just, like, shoot him from, like, underneath. And then I, but then I saw the pool of blood. And I was like, oh, no. See, um, I had only ever seen one other time of a character doing that in media, and that was in a flashback scene in Orange is the New Black because one of the characters is a war veteran, but the camera cuts away right before the grenade actually goes off. And so... I, like, at, that was the first time I guess I had ever seen anything like that portrayed in media when it came to, like, war wartime or, like, a battle or something. But it just it just makes so much sense because of what they had quoted in, in the film. Um, but, yeah, before I just go rambling about everything that I, I liked about this, this film, um, it this was such a pleasant experience, and I wasn't sure how to feel about it because I knew next to nothing um, before uh, before I watched it and I was pleasantly surprised and I really, really liked it a lot. So, and how? Moving on to our, what's that? I said, and how? It is a very satisfying yeah. film. Yes. So moving on to our general discussion uh, about the five bloods, uh, something that I mentioned earlier that we would get back to, I think is something that we should talk about to start with. Uh, and that is the idea of Delroy Lindo, uh, a being a Republican a Trump supporter and uh, clearly and loudly wearing a make America great again hat uh, throughout uh, a lot of this film. Uh, um, a, what does everybody think about that aspect of his character? And B, um, what do we think about the way that that moves into the finale of this, where he has his hat taken away? Uh, and Jean Reno, who is having a very interesting performance. Uh, in fat this, performance? As, Sorry. Yeah, as like a <laughs> fat Tony type gangster. Uh, I didn't even recognize him. Holy shit. In my mind, I was like, wait a minute. It's that guy from Leon. And and then the credits rolled, and I was like, damn, Jean Reno got fat as fuck. Yeah, no. Too, totally <laughs> damn. I, damn. I, I mean, he's, guys, he's always I, I been a guys and, big guy as far as, like, No, build. dude. Come on. I mean, he's big and tall, but now it just looks like he's big. Yeah. I, I texted these guys and told them that he is like getting not he's not there, but he is like on the path to like late stage Marlon Brando fat. So <laughs> uh, hey, <laughs> Anna, do you remember? Do you remember uh, uh, Les Samoray and Alan Delon 
You remember you remember the guy with the the hat and the trench coat that you said was hot? Yeah, Alain yeah. Delon. When he, he was in his prime. Yeah, yes. when he was when it was his prime, he was hot. Well, guess what? Yeah. You know, he, like he got he got old too. So like, it's okay. Like, well, that's the thing. Alain Delon just like he just got old, but he didn't get fat. <laughs> oh come on! Sorry. Wow, this is taking a turn. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, this, I don't mean this to be like a body shaming podcast, specifically John right. Reno. I was just making. <laughs> I, no, it's not more like a John Reno shaming podcast I, at this point. I just, I just didn't even, I, I didn't even recognize him. Like it was, it, I, 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 I honestly didn't. What the like, hell, it, you guys? He was. I mean, he didn't eat another person. He's still no, white. He's it, still got the same haircut. A, it's been a while since I saw him. And it, like, I just didn't recognize him. Shit, I had just thought he was I just mean, like some yeah, other. Yeah, he doesn't some, have a twelve-year-old hanging guy. off of his arm, but it's. Oh, oh, come on! I was like, don't, don't put that on me. Don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Come on. Yeah, I. Well, I'll say this about uh, John Reno's casting: when he showed up in the very first scene he did uh, as the financier, um, I thought it was a bit of stunt casting because I was like, why even bring him in if it's just for this? Be- not because I think he's like the world's greatest actor by any means, but it's just an unusual choice. So um, when there, when it was revealed that there was more to it, uh, obviously, which was not like he's a certainly sh- one of the most shock, but I thought that was like, okay, this is the payoff as to why, because then I thought his, uh, shall we say, his appearance and whatnot really uh, added some texture. And to go off of what Alex was saying about the uh, Make America Great hat again, I absolutely love that because I almost... Love the suggestion of the kind of visual metaphor that, like, in death, you know, it, can a black person really be for Trump? You know, it's like, it's it's technically because they're alive and they are, you know, um, susceptible to uh, follies, like thinking that somebody like that could actually help them, you know, whatever, but almost like they get a pass uh, because here's the real <laughs> Trumpy. So I don't know. Uh, it was cheeky, but I absolutely love that. It was cheeky. And the fact that he took the hat, John Reno, that is put it on and then dropped it down um, on the character before getting shot through the eyes. And uh, the climax of the film was um, very purposeful. And yet the same time um i think will will work really well if we're turning to this film in a decade um so i thought it was interesting that that focus of present day politics was in this film but i do like that also, we saw inclusion of the Black Lives Matter movement, and I feel like, in the context of this film, I'm glad that, that was fortuitous. But I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to say that in a like trying to make this a positive thing of everything that's been going on, but um, there's no way that that was filmed and planned before all this happened. So that that's crazy. Exactly. So. I do like how both of that imagery and both of those ideas were presented in this film. I definitely think it is plausible that um, that character is 
a Trump supporter, and I don't think that's like completely far removed from later in life, but I, from at least uh, what I mean, um, real life. Um, but I can't help but think of the Black Republican sketch from Key and Peele. So, um, yeah, I just, I thought it was interesting. And We're Black Republicans. I'm pissed. Real pissed. Um, We're pissed. We're real pissed. <laughs> um, so, I mean, about, I think, 45 minutes in the film, I was like, wait a minute, is that guy wearing a MAGA hat? And then I was like, oh great and you know then then it just kind of moves on but um yeah i guess i guess i thought it was interesting but um i mean i'm glad it wasn't made a bigger deal than it already was so that's my two cents i like the fact that uh in real life apparently uh spike lee sent delroy lindo the script with the character uh you know in mind and then Delroy Lindo was like, man, I really want to be in this movie, but can we change this? And um, Spike Lee, I think, graciously said, think about it for a few more days, and then let's talk. You know, like, that's your first reaction, whatever. And then um, they had another conversation where he was still a little on the fence, but then Spike ultimately said that that's what he felt was needed because he didn't want to fall into a trap of a... Uh, of the idea that somehow, yeah, like, the black experience is some kind of, like, uh, what Toussaint said earlier, monolithic thing that everybody experiences uh, grief the same way, everybody experiences, you know, hate the same way and whatnot. So uh, I love that Delroy then obviously not only accepted it, but then stepped up to the plate and went above and beyond. Yeah, it ran with it. Yep. I mean, for sure. And then we have his death scene that is just brutal. Um, aside from the idea of him digging his own grave, and then he's <laughs> singing a hymn, and then uh, we just have almost the uh, oddly comical killing of him uh, with the, the machine guns, and that was just um, while hmm. singing Marvin Gaye, no less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I gotta say. So, uh, oh. Yeah, please. Well, I was going to say, just in conjunction with that scene, that's um, another scene that's right there. That's pretty much one of my all-time favorite scenes of the movie, is his final confrontation with the ghost of Storm and Norman. Um, mm. Because that was one of those things where, on paper, that could be, like, the cheesiest thing in the world, but it was so sorely needed in this movie. <laughs> you know, for the first two hours that it just ended up being one of the most cathartic things I've seen in cinema in quite some time. Uh, and it really cemented Chadwick Boseman's portrayal as this ethereal figure, you know. Um, and it's probably my favorite thing he's ever done personally because I think he's good in Black Panther, but I don't really think you can be great <laughs> in any of those movies, but that's just me. Um it was a transcendent experience. I, I uh, a, a transcendent performance. I agree with you, Nick. I think that, um, like, there's just nothing like the like yeah like Black Panther's a great film, but this is like catharsis. This is like a a, a fucking wonderful end of an arc of just like relieving this character's burden 
I, I, I absolutely love that scene. Yeah, that, and the other thing, too, is that throughout the two things, one, that Chadwick was able to actually convey that for only being on the screen for about five minutes in total, you know, for the whole movie, because he has to somehow be this mythic fella uh, for everybody, and yet he absolutely nailed it, which I think is super hard to do. But then... The other thing is, throughout the whole movie, they talk about him like he's, you know, like he is a god and whatnot, and for good reason, uh, as far as how, in a lot of ways, he was uh, an awakening. Uh, uh, he played a part, an integral part, of their awakening uh, as their own shared black experiences that, you know, at one point, um, one of them says that, you know, he, he was their Malcolm and their Martin, and... What I loved is that after the whole movie sets him up as being this leader and, you know, um, really teaching them all the lessons they needed to learn or whatever, um, at the very end, it's like all that gets completely backgrounded because at the foreground, what's needed most of all was, you know, to stop hating yourself. So um, for him to then show up as the messenger for that uh was just a really good capper to that entire uh kind of mini arc so chadwick boseman's scene earlier in the film um uh when they find out about martin luther king was also absolutely fantastic and also leads in to something that uh we actually kind of see in a much different way uh, in one of the episodes of Watchmen, which is the idea of trying to play off of African-Americans' emotions during a conflict, which we see with the radio broadcast, which I thought was just absolutely fantastic. Um, this idea of telling them that your government doesn't care about you. Why fight for them? Which they are totally correct about, but for the wrong reasons obviously and it's just a really um interesting experience to hear the radio broadcast in english uh to the people listening and then their response to that there is such a thing as the truth being weaponized uh for purposes that would ultimately work against the very people who absolutely need to hear that truth um, I really did enjoy that scene just because I think that it's sort of like it, what, what Anna talked about, sort of what Anna talked about. I knew that, that Martin Luther King died during uh, the course of the Vietnam War, um, but I never thought about what it would have been like to be a black soldier like abroad and to hear about Martin Luther King dying and to see sort of the, the visceral anger that sort of like emerges out of those men. Um, it is believable, it is palpable, um, it is relatable. Um, and you're essentially kind of, because of how messy Vietnam was, you're in a lawless place, you know. So. You're, in a, you're in a lawless place. <laughs> so whatever you are thinking is probably possible. Yeah, and, and that um, Norman was able to sort of corral them back into a into sort of a formation of, of camaraderie and understanding and shared pain and grief and anger without aiming that anger uh, out towards um, other people was a, uh, a masterful display of leadership and of just 
empathy and humanity. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I wanted to pose a question to you guys um, specifically about Storm and Norman. Um, echoing what everybody has said, I also think Chadwick Boseman did an amazing job uh, with the character, um, especially, like, I enjoyed the contrast of his character's age compared to the ages of the other characters, and he is, like, that basically solidifies him being so ethereal. Ethereal, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, Paul is the person who gets Norman to succumb to friendly fire. And Paul, in that situation, is also essentially the only witness. Do you all think that that's a secret that's been with him his whole life? Or do you think he ever shared that? Do you think he ever shared that with anybody else? No, no, he, he absolutely he's, he's taken he's taken that to the grave. He's taking yeah. that to the grave. Okay, that's yeah. what I assumed, but I wanted to see what you guys thought. Yeah, he uh, he he when when he's approached by uh, one of the other characters about like going to see like the VA and just like actually like talking to somebody, like he entirely rebuffs that idea just categorically out of hand, and that the fact that he has these recurring almost nightly, like, daily, nightly nightmares about Norman and what happened, like, that is a grief that he just either carries with himself for the rest of his life, and he dissociates from it, and eventually that anger and and self-loathing eventually then manifests into whatever other sort of convenient sort of container for that animus that he has to sort of like vent out of himself, whether that is sort of reverting back to um, his prejudices towards uh, Vietnamese people when he's actually abroad, whether it be uh, towards uh, his son for his, uh, his not even latent, but blatant resentment of him for having his life sort of come at the cost of the life of a woman who uh, probably was a, was one was one of the one things that sort of like anchored him to a sense of 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 redemptive self. Um, yeah, he. The, I I, I can totally imagine that because like people go to war and and awful things happen and they just never talk about them, like even to like other people. You just you see a look on a person's face and you just know. You just know that they saw some shit. Yeah, I completely agree in that. It's definitely been, that's his biggest problem. Um, Not so much that there aren't problems that he doesn't create, but that's the one he does have control over, which is that he never talks about it. Um, And uh, it obviously manifests in some extremely uh, awful ways. Uh, Things that are understandable, but... A lot of times they're not excusable, uh, unfortunately, and so that's what kind of creates, I would say, the portrait of a very deeply tragic character, because I don't think anybody watching it ever starts to, uh, uh, shall we say, side with him over, you know, like, his own son with the way he treats him, but... 
at least there's uh, closure is granted before his death in a way that was probably this trip was the catalyst for. Um, so in that respect, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty good. Um, actually, think about um, earlier when I mentioned the connection with Marvin Gaye uh, and his father shooting and killing him. I, I am reminded that also the, the quote that Marvin Gaye Sr. gave the police when he was arrested is kind of a apt summation of the relationship in this movie when they asked him if he if he actually loved his son and his apparently he his quote was let's just say I didn't dislike him and it's just Ugh. it's yeah it's a very complicated thing and um that's kind of the uh, the vibe that I got from a movie like this with a relationship like that, which is that there is love in his heart, but his heart has been dead for so long that it has no room to actually breathe or uh, come alive anymore. And because of good that, way of putting it, yeah. So because of that, unfortunately, he is a a, a horrible father and at times a very bad person. Um, but I don't think he was the one that was the cause of that flame going out. You know, that was ultimately robbed from him. Obviously, I would agree with what you just said, Nick. But at the same time, um, in thematically, um, that's just such a good character because of the conflict that is happening with him and also to the way that Delroy Lindo is playing that character, because that is, that is such a tough thing for someone who's a viewer of this film to really cope with. I think at least it was for me, this idea of this is obviously not a very good person. And as the film wears on um, it, I think it's impossible to not come to that conclusion at least at points throughout this. Um, and at the same time, it's all so complicated because does it make him unanimously a bad person because of the things he's experienced in his life? Um, and, and in a way it absolutely doesn't, but his treatment of other people, specifically uh, his son, who we, see throughout this film, I think at least as only a positive uh, influence he could be. Um, yeah, it's, it's just such so hard, at least as an audience member to cope with the idea of, of what is this person and what is the story that will be told about them. And man, in a, even a pretty long movie in two hours and 35 minutes, um, this accomplished a lot with that extremely complex character. Yeah. Um, I also want to say in relation to that, that um, maybe I'm outing myself as a bad person here because I don't know everybody's thoughts on this, but there is a phrase that is often used uh, in conjunction with, you know, memorializing the, I guess, honor of war or whatever that I fucking hate and I'm not a soldier so I'm obviously my opinion and perspective is one from the sideline so you know take it with a grain of salt but um this is, movie is a great example of why I hate it but the the kind of signpost phrase of uh, all gave some some gave all 
in my opinion, is just one of the worst <laughs> framings of what it means to sacrifice in something like a war. Because A, it, it idealizes death as the ultimate sacrifice, which um, is only true if you consider the values of human lives to only matter in in my opinion in like a spreadsheet like capitalistic society where (laughs) numbers are technically the only thing that give uh, a soul purpose uh whether you're dead or alive and the idea that people came back from the war you know and did not quote-unquote give all uh, as if you know, like as we see in this movie, who's just a composite, a character, but yet obviously stands in for so many people, black or white, who went over to to fight in something they don't even really quite understand or believe in for a country that doesn't quite respect them uh, and suffer the consequences. And now they have to live an entire tortured ex- uh, existence that is, uh, in my opinion, in some ways more horrifying than, you know, the idea of death, uh, which should obviously be respected, but um, that's just—I don't know. I see, I see that so, so much, especially now, because I think with July Fourth, people are putting it out and whatnot. I just—I've always hated that phrase. I, I, I deeply um, empathize with with that. I, I, I've never thought of it before in that way, but I think that once you sort of like lay it out, yeah, that is a sort of—that's a phrase that. It's a phrase that predates uh, any meaningful understanding of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Um, it is a it is a uh, it is a phrase that entirely precludes any sort of really even even cursory understanding of the the lack of like support for um, mental health and and uh, and and sort of. Uh, reacclimation services for former vets into civilian life again. Uh, it is just imagine perilous. saying to a soldier who made it back, "Yeah, you gave some. You only gave <laughs> some, though. You only you only gave. I know that you got a Purple Heart and you were fucking like like wounded, but you know what? You only gave some, though." And it's like, you put man. the stethoscope up. Yep, yep, just some. Okay, next, just some. <laughs> um. I'm glad that you brought that up, Nick, because I I agree with both of you for the most part. Um, I'm pretty much against anything that has, like, pro-war propaganda vibes. So, um, yeah, I definitely don't like that phrase either. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, obviously don't go looking for wisdom in a bumper sticker culture, but... It still it still irks me because I feel like there are even progressives I know that kind of tout that phrase, maybe not on their car, but in the back of their mind, and think that that's a good summation of of the validity, I guess, of uh, I don't know what, a guilty conscience, uh, basically, of standing aside and letting this happen. Don't go looking for wisdom on a bumper sticker and don't go chasing waterfalls. Got it. Yeah, and those are really the only two <laughs> rules you need to get through life, in my opinion. Um, can we talk about so, a, oh, oh, Yeah, what were you going to say? Oh, if, if you got something else, that's totally fine. I just had but a I scene going... so we can go after you. Okay, so in addition 
addition to what Nick is wanting to talk about, before we go to final ratings, uh, I for sure want to discuss as a group or everyone weigh in uh, on the relationship between Paul and David and uh, what that meant for this film. (laughs) (laughs) I had to make at least one Uh, off-color joke. Or was that? Wait, that was not intended. (laughs) <laughs> was it? It left. I'm gonna let you let that. I'm gonna let you let, let that one slide. Thank you. You're gonna let him <laughs> let that slide. Wow. All right. Uh, that's awesome. No, I, I I think that that is the clear integral part of this film, uh, and uh, I'm very interested to hear everyone's thoughts on it. And then also what what uh, the scene that Nick was wanting to talk about as well. Yeah, I'll quickly say that obviously I thought it that was the beating heart of this movie, which is basically having a complicated relationship uh, in a dynamic where there should be nothing but love, but is tainted by something so beyond the realm of what a father and son should have to deal with um, that it almost, like, that's just one of the biggest cruelties of life is, you know, something like war happening uh, to families and whatnot, because it, cause it does. Um, so I was a huge fan of the way the two actors uh, obviously performed throughout, uh, because that's such a delicate line. Like, I know Delroy Lindo is going very big, but I never felt too big, um, because, you know, technically Lee is slightly playing with uh, that kind of jungle fever, war tropes of... Uh, like Apocalypse Now, where, you know, you the, the deeper into the trees you go, the, the crazier you get. So um, while it obviously went pretty sky high at times, I thought it was still threading the needle of something that was extremely lived in and uncomfortable to witness. Um, but yeah, I absolutely loved it, and I think I probably talked about it enough, so I'll pass it on to anybody else. Um, so... I think it's kind of interesting that that is the truest um, relationship of a parent and child that we see in this film. Um, Forgive me. I want to make sure I get the characters' names correct. Um, Melvin, um, I think it's assumed that he doesn't have children. Um, He mentioned how he's been divorced multiple times, so we can just assume that he he never had kids because he never mentioned any. Um... No, that's not true. Um, Eddie. Eddie was the one that didn't have children. Melvin has a son because in the beginning of the film when they're at the Apocalypse Now bar, which I don't want to forget, um, that scene of them dancing in the Apocalypse Bar Now is, uh, in the Apocalypse Now bar is my favorite little shot in the film um, of them dancing. I thought that was so cute and fun. So I loved it. Um, So uh, Eddie is the one that didn't have children. Melvin is the one that had a son and they were all making fun of him because his wife is so much better looking than him. And so uh, his son obviously got the good looks. And then um, Otis, we find that he ends up... uh, in the past, he fathered a, a daughter with an old flame um, from Vietnam. So that's cool that we see like a little reunion um, with uh, them. Um, and then we find out his ex-girlfriend is like, of course, part of... Uh, she instruments the the moving of 
the gold, so to speak, um, and then we get Jean Reno. So um, the relationship between Paul and David, I pretty much agree with everything that's already been said. Um, and David just wants... He, he wants nothing but his dad to be okay. And, like, he expresses his concern... Um, to his uh, dad's his dad's friends that are like, man, he really needs to talk to somebody. Like, he needs help. It's pretty much out of my realm to get him the help that he needs. And I also liked the the solidification of David's place in the group on this journey when um, after David surprises his dad at the hotel, um, all four of them are at the the hotel breakfast bar like the following day let's assume and it's the shot of the camera above david's head as he's holding orange juice and visually like we're being told as the audience like david is the child here like is the child here he's surrounded by his dad and his and his like um his like uncles and his godfather and he is the child like he is tagging along his importance is not as much as he thinks it is and that is just what the relationship is so i thought that was a really um creative way to uh portray that visually because it was just so cool um so um he just wants nothing but the best for his dad and then um it it really strikes the point home when he's given the letter um, from his dad after uh, he gets shot in the leg and he expresses like my dad always made it so clear that he loved my mom way more than he ever loved me um, and then we find out from the letter that that's not tr true um, but yeah it really is it really is the the strong relationship in the whole film so it was um, it was really nice to see even though they had their bumps along the way so, you know, the, the, the thing about their relationship that is so fantastic is the idea of um, Paul Delroy Lindo's character having to hold this burden with him his entire life. And I'm not talking about his wife's passing. I'm talking about his unfortunate friendly fire killing of Norman. Um, and that defined the rest of his life and every single decision that he made from there on out, including his treatment of his child, David. Um, and, and we just see this, this idea of him creating this persona out of this lie that he is telling both himself and everyone around him. Um, and he cannot cut through the shit until he gives that letter to him after he's already passed away, obviously. And um, that's just so real, I feel like, because this idea of putting on this show and this ruse, because that is what you've had to do as a person, because you feel like that's your only option, Um that cuts pretty deep, I think. And that was probably the best part of that relationship to me. Um, now that we've like talked more about this, I I apologize, but I just I just thought of something. We can assume that 
during the war, the closest relationship, the closest like personal relationships that he had during the war was with his four bloods. And then he meets his wife and falls in love. And I can assume prior to his wife passing away, his, um, he found someone in his life aside from his, um, his, uh, bloods, uh, that really just understood him and that he could just be himself. And granted, we don't know really any details about that relationship other than it was very, very strong and it was obviously a tragedy before she passed away. But the fact that it's it's David that gets the least amount of love and closeness is as the the PTSD from Paul just gets so much worse as it goes untreated and it it exacerbates and then it reaches the tipping point when they finally get in Vietnam. It really is like, like Alex was saying, it was very real and it was, it was a tragedy and it's just a shame because that's how David grew up thinking is that his dad just was thought so lonely of him. But we do see bursts of positivity because I mean, David is a graduate of Morehouse College, which is frankly a very prestigious HBCU, and they definitely drive that point home throughout the film how David should be proud of his accomplishments and everything. And I'm sure that meant so much to him because we don't know how often those uh, peaks of encouragement really did happen before this trip to Vietnam. So um, you can really much draw those conclusions based on what we see in the film and I think that's really interesting how that's portrayed Nick uh, before yeah. we go to final ratings you had wanted to talk about a scene so yeah uh, I just want to give a shout out um, probably my favorite scene in the movie is in the first hour which is the scene that takes place on the boat uh, when they are driving through the little uh dock community and uh, with, with the chicken yes um that is like from start to finish is one of just the best uh i think choreographed scenes as far as how lee captures all of that action um from its calm beginning because at first it's kind of a comedic scene uh to obviously it's kind of devastating end uh it's just such a mess of intentions and uh non-intentions and so many things and uh uh, obviously racial divide but also political and whatnot and it just becomes a great example of kind of what war looks like from i think you know the outside looking in it's uh it's a lot of impulsive actions that are driven by these uh, v- largely prejudiced beliefs of the person on the other side of the you know campaign or whatever when technically speaking both are victims of the men who created this situation in the first place and yet they're the ones who are living and dying for these causes that are not directly benefiting them and so the acting on display from Delroy Lindo in that scene alone I thought was fantastic um, I loved his uh, basically, his first is contempt, uh, not because I love that trait, but it was just so well portrayed because 
uh, unlike him at the uh, club, he seemed like he was actually restrained <laughs> uh, at first because he did keep saying, you know, like, don't do that, don't do that. And then, unfortunately, uh, you know, the, the other person was trying to instigate something because of their held prejudices, which are justifiable as well. Not that prejudices are justifiable, but that they come from a complicated lineage of uh, decisions made by uh, people long ago. Um, but then from him going from there, then going from 0 to 60 uh, into his kind of Trumpism-esque view of the world of uh, me versus you, uh, and then just into a full-on sob fest uh, as he admits to everyone that he's still seeing Storm and Norman, and the way that the entire crew of uh, the, the five, or in this case the, the other three bloods, are both completely understanding but also missing the point in that moment because none of them, obviously, understandably, but put together the real secret that's bothering him, uh, they just think that this is quote-unquote normal PTSD because that's how fucked up PTSD is. <laughs> that it can look like that even without a grave secret that's haunting someone and it's basically, well, you gotta go talk to someone because that is what you have to go do, but also uh, it's it's not as simple as that and for them it's so commonplace that they're also okay with kind of just letting it go because they know what that's like and they're like yeah you know no one's gonna force me to do anything either uh i don't know i just absolutely loved that entire sequence and that's all she wrote yeah yeah i was gonna say let's uh if you guys are all down let's uh move to final ratings and i i think i'll go first if that's all right with everybody sure yeah yeah so I was very much a fan. Um, I, I didn't touch on a lot of things that I didn't love about this. Uh, I did mention that the scenes that were shown in the flashbacks uh, were not my favorite. Uh, there were some unusual choice here, which is the hallmark of Spike Lee. Some of them work out great, and some of them work out not as good for the viewer and I think that there are some of those here uh, including his it's tough to say because it's not unanimously a bad choice but for me personally his use of the very loud war music that we usually see in any film uh, I thought was a little odd uh, here and there were some other small things uh, that didn't land perfectly for me on the first time. But in general, I thought this was a terrific film uh, that hit a lot of notes right on the money. And I was a fan. And even though I thought the second half of this film was superior to the first, uh, I feel like that could change on a rewatch because uh, even though the second half is more action-packed, it is certainly clearer to what the film is doing. The setup in the first hour or so uh, may be much sweeter the second time through. Uh, and I will say one more thing that I really enjoyed about this is that I'm always a fan of battle scenes in war films and the way that the director uh, views them and visualizes them for the audience. 
And I thought that the action sequence and the uh, scene where all of the original characters are on a helicopter and shooting at uh, the people in Vietnam when they first arrive in the location that they are at where they find the gold is pretty terrific, especially in the way that the bullets and the bombs are shown on screen. So that was a small part of it, but um, landed very well in what I like about fight scenes in war films. So for me, uh, first time viewing, it's a three and a half out of five, four to five bloods. And I thought uh, this was very good. And it really only could go up from here in terms of rating for me. Moving on to whoever wants to go next. I'll go next. So, yeah, I think this film is amazing. I think that uh, sort of falling off of what Nick was talking about initially, like this might be his best film since 25th Hour. I think 25th Hour is actually one of my favorite films. So um, to put it in in that sort of category is not faint praise, not faint praise at all. But I think that this film is wholly deserving of that. Um, there are so many uh, facets about this film that I've already sort of touched on before that I really enjoy. Um, all the performances are incredible. I think, think that the actual cinematography is exceptional. I love the sound design. I love the music. Um, I love the themes of this film. And I, I yeah, I, I, I think that this, this, this is one of those films that I wish I could see in a theater. I really wish I could could see in a theater nowadays, but um, I'm really just happy that I was able to see it at all. So I think I would give this uh, four out of five bloods. So, yeah. Anna, do you want to go or do you want me to go? Either way. Uh, I, 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 can, I can go, all if right. that's okay. All right. Well, um, I give this film three and a half out of five bloods. Um, I just think that there was there was so much that I liked about this film. Um, but I want to say my biggest gripe was like the length. Um, I watched it in two uh, separate sessions. I finished um, the last half hour. Um, today, um, and I felt like that's kind of where the crux of this film really is. Um, it, there, there was just so much about this composure, the, the way everything was composed and put together was just so great. Like, Toussaint mentioned how wonderful all the visuals were. I feel like, um, like just even the environment um, that we see, like, the lushness of the jungle, like, it was all color-graded in, in the right way, where everything was so vibrant, um, and the the use of the, the soundtrack was so good, and, like, the fact that the characters were always talking about the Temptations in Motown was, I think, even cooler. Um, I really liked the, like I mentioned before, um, the historical and political context where we see like imagery in the past actually superimposed into the film. And then um, like everything I mentioned before, I just think is so good. So um, I was actually thinking about if this would 
fit in a theater. And I know um, when I was reading a fun fact, this was actually screened out of competition at Cannes. And I know Cannes had like a kind of an up in arms thing about featuring Netflix films, um, but they actually uh, featured this film and it was like the first Netflix film that was featured out of competition in three years at Cannes. Um, I kind of think this is a good a good space for a film like this. It just, for some reason, it really does fit. Um, and it fits in a good way. I feel like Netflix films, they have like a certain feel to them, but this this just kind of in, is in its own league and it just feels like, like it's, it's appropriate. It doesn't feel, um, it just doesn't feel too out of place, I would say. Um, but yeah, three and a half out of five Bloods for me, I really liked this. All right. I also... If I, if I can say... Yes. Oh, can I real quick? As, yep. I would just say, going off of something that Anna was just mentioning, Netflix has seemed to find their home in not creating their own content, but just grabbing directors who are known and paying them for their projects. Yeah, no, that's that's true. It, it it seems like they they're really into focusing creating the television and then just plucking the films where they they seem fit or, you know, picking on a director and then paying them a bunch of money to make something. For many years their original films were just absolutely awful. Um, <laughs> and in the last two and a half years, to their credit, um, they've gotten some major directors, and some of them haven't been as good uh, in terms of the products that they've gotten, but they've gotten quite a few winners, whether it be Roma or The Irishman or this. Um, you know, they're, Marriage story? They're, yeah. They're finding a winning formula, and um, you know what? Good for them for doing something different. Right on. Um yeah, I thought this was uh, amazing. I thought that everything about this is what reminds me of Spike Lee's presence in the film canon uh, is insurmountable. It's, uh, it's such a unique and vital perspective that is both unique because of his, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times hyper-focus on black experiences, and yet also unique in that so many of his uh, visual tics and whatnot are so singular that it transcends uh, his director beyond just his script choices and whatnot. So I, I love that he's, uh, he's, he's just one crazy dude, and uh, I'd never want him to stop. Um, I thought this, uh, Defy Bloods, was... Fantastic. I thought the performances across the board were great. I'll once again say that I thought Delroy Lindo was phenomenal. And it doesn't matter if this movie came out in a year where there's barely any movies. If it came out in a year with a packed schedule, I would still want him so far to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor, if not win, because I just thought it was one of the greatest performances I've seen in so long. And, um,. Yeah, I thought it was uh, wonderful. So I give it four and a half out of five. Right on, dude. 
mm-hmm. um, a lot of high praise for the five bloods. Uh, for anyone out there who has any feelings on this, always feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com or send your feelings on to us at Facebook or Twitter or on Facebook or Twitter, I should say, at Film Tank Show. So coming up on our next episode, uh, I'm super pumped for our next episode because um, we're going to be talking about a film that I don't necessarily think is the best film ever made or anything like that, but certainly was an attempt at something that was very difficult to accomplish and really did exactly what it was out to do. Uh, And that is the Richard Linklater film boyhood, uh, which was released, I think about five years ago now. Uh, somewhere in there, four or five years five? ago. I thought it came out in 2013. Maybe, oh man, maybe even, even longer. Seven? Yeah. Okay, yeah. six or seven? Okay, even longer than I thought. Anyways, uh, a film that really, uh, took a huge amount of foresight and a lot of planning and had to have a lot of things land just right and um even though it's not the best movie ever made, it's certainly extremely ambitious and uh, really just goes in and accomplishes its mission uh, on a film that was filmed over a 12-year period showing the changes in human lives, especially in children. So um, we're going to talk about... A great example. Oh, I was gonna say it's also a great example of how nepotism doesn't always work. Uh, <laughs> because yeah. because Linklater's yeah. daughter clearly does not want to be in the movie after she's over the age of like nine. <laughs> yeah, but um, I guess somewhat to her credit, she did uh, at least in a way stick it out. Oh so. yeah. If anything, also it added something in the background to her character, but it's still pretty funny. Uh, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, uh, on the episode. Uh, and something we'll also talk about is the just wonderful performances by both Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette as they play their parents uh, who are divorced in the film um, throughout the passage of time. And it is just awesome. So uh, that's coming up on our next episode. Let me go. <laughs> Oh, I don't want to be our hero. You guys are just the worst. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to be a big man. Oh, God. I'm assuming you haven't seen it. Have you ever heard of Boyhood? I have heard of Boyhood. I've never watched it. I know it made, um, it made a splash during its respective... Um, award season and I thought it was super like the concept was super cool when I had heard about it but I just never saw it so yeah it again and we'll talk about it much more on our next episode but I don't know if it's a great film but man it is a ambitious and awesome concept that uh, for sure lands so I'd recommend it for sure I know I gotta pick it up one of these days it has a criterion, does it not, Nick? It does. Ooh. I that so. Yeah, so if you've Bad. got 
if you've got 50 bucks, you can go buy the uh, Criterion of it. Actually, Nothing I will do more with my $50. <laughs> I actually don't think I've watched my... I, I have it, uh, but I've not watched it since I bought that edition, so that'll be fun. There you go. Looks like I know what I'm stealing next time I go to Nick's. Uh, I will put it right <laughs> next to Salo for you. <laughs> God, that's awesome. Uh, or you she's the only one who like tweets me box. about Salo once a week, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying. Why, do, why don't you two tweet me about Salo every other week? Come on. <laughs> it's just. It's just. <laughs> when, when 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 we're through all this, and I, I'm not talking about somebody who wants to watch Solo because I feel like at some point in my life it's going to end up happening. Yeah, but um, <laughs> Nick's like, yeah, oh man, only because but, it's also not as bad as everybody. Like I've seen much worse, but yeah, yes, that doesn't mean anything, Nick. True. Just just from everything I've just heard, uh, when we can all get back together again. The four of us should get together and watch Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built. And I think that would be a wonderful experience. I'm always <laughs> yes, down for that. it would. Honestly, Have you seen it? Have you no, seen I it, haven't, man? but I want oh. to. Oh I remember you guys God. talking with me about it, though. Uh. So. <laughs> but that, I honestly, I'm down. Like, I'm dead serious. Yes. Okay. We should do it sometime when uh, there's that. We'll pencil it in for 2022. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be available. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, um, thank you very much to everybody for listening to this episode. We uh, obviously very much enjoy putting this on for everybody and uh, look forward to uh, the upcoming episodes. As always, Anna, thank you very much for joining us. Can't wait to uh, be chatting with you again coming up here soon. I can't wait either. Thank you so much for asking me to join on this episode. It was a blast, as it always is. And I will say, as someone who has asked you, I think, three times now, and you have answered three times, and we still haven't done it, um, (laughs) the next time you're on the podcast, probably, because I don't want to fully commit to it, but the next time we will do an episode on Cabin Fever that you have mentioned multiple times. I can't wait. Oh, that's a yeah. good movie. <laughs> oh, boy. We got clapped at. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Was so. that, like, too overwhelming with your speakers? I, like, didn't mean to do that. <laughs> it wasn't overwhelming, but it was abundant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, oh, boy, a squeak. No, no, that was great. So, from Annabelle Sadu, uh, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much to everybody for listening to us here at Film Tank. We'll be catching up with you next time. (laughs) 